Kaiju FM. Come find your niche. folks and welcome to this week's episode of the prestige a podcast by film lovers for film lovers my name is rob i spent a large chunk of my life traveling around the world on different film sets working in film technology and film editing i have hopefully a wealth of technical experience in making movies of all levels my co-pilot on this journey my co-host is sam who has studied english at all the best institutions has PhDs and masters and qualifications coming out the wazoo. The idea being that he knows how things should work and I know how things work in practice. And hopefully between those two things, we can plot a course for you guys, um, taking you through a movie of the week. Because that's how the show works. Each episode, we pick a film, we talk about that film, its history, its ideas, its themes, and we top it all off with recommendations, films that link to our movie of the week that we also want to push and talk about. But before we get into the episode proper, so talking about our movie of the week, we always start with what else we've been watching, enjoying, listening to, reading, some way partaking in since our last recording session. So Sam, what else has been gracing your eyes or your ears of late? Well, I am not as big a horror fan as you, and I don't generally think as much about Halloween as you do, but I do have a nod to that this week um, and I've just started, well I'm about halfway through watching the first of two series on Netflix by director Mike Flanagan and the first one is The Haunting of Hill House which is very good and I've just watched episode 6 of that series and it's just I, I'm a sucker for single shot cinematography and it's just amazing. There are like maybe four or five shots in the whole 45 minute episode and it's just it's just beautiful to look at. Apart from being like emotionally significant and well acted and builds on we've had earlier in the series season. Um I understand that the season kind of digresses gets gets a little bit caught up in itself and I've probably reached the pinnacle with episode 6 but even if that's the case I'm quite happy with that because it's just it's a work of art Season six, uh, episode 6 of Haunted House is absolutely brilliant um, and if you like horror then there are I mean there are jump scares and there are sort of slow building tension scares as well and it's just very well put together and it's beautiful to look at so yeah i would recommend that excellent excellent. i I haven't actually seen any of those series um it is sitting in my netflix queue to get to at some point but i did have a revelation on that note recently this week i just don't like ghost stories okay it's a weird. It's, my, my, my wife and I discussing this. Both of us like horror, but we like very different horror. Mm. And for me, I I like slasher. I like that kind of thing. The idea being that if it's a bad guy who's a bad guy with a knife, let's say, 
I can kill that. You know? Yeah. I know how to deal with it. A ghost, I'm like, I don't know, it's a ghost. Whereas my wife is much more like, well, the ghost can't really happen, so that isn't as scary. Whereas a man with a knife might, and so that's more scary. Mm. And both of us have this complete flip view. Um, but yeah, I'm uh, I'm not overly on board with too many ghost stories. I don't know why it's one of those things that really, it bypasses my cynical brain and gets me right to being utterly terrified. I can understand that there's something... One of the things that you might enjoy about this series is, yes, it's a, it's a ghost story, fine, but it says an awful lot about mental health and addiction mm. as well. And like, there are ways that you look at it that you can think, well, this is about something scary happening in someone's head as well. So, yeah, really good. And I am still on the horror bandwagon, though very much the other end of the uh, spectrum to you uh, this week I have watched the 1975 film The Night of the Howling Beast otherwise known as The Hall of Mountain King otherwise known as The Curse of the Beast otherwise known as The Wolf and the Yeti um, this is the eighth in a you want to say series of films but there's no real narrative link between these films. They are just featuring the same actor playing the same character who gets turned into a werewolf. Um, it ignores entirely earlier films. And essentially, in this film, the actor, Paul Nashke, uh, travels to Tibet trying to find Yeti. He is captured by two vampire women who turn him into a werewolf. His friends come rescue him. They are then kidnapped by some pirates. And at the end, the the main character turns into well finally and fights Yeti in bloody hand-to-hand combat. It is incredibly weird. It is, it is a like it's a Spanish horror film from the seventies. Like they are going for schlock, they're going for um, you know it's exploitative. It's full of nudity and violence. Um, there's a lot of gore in it. It is very much in that wheelhouse of movies. But I've very much enjoyed it. It is one of the video nasties from the 1980s it was banned in the uk um i'm not overly sure why it's not that bad it's more silly than anything serious um but it is a a uh, a video nasty from the 80s so what, what were those titles again so uh, the version i watch is called uh, the night of the howling beast but it also known as the hall of the mountain king it is known as the curse of the beast or it is known as the werewolf and the yeti or its original spanish time which is la la maldición de la bestia which is the curse of the beast nice. um it's silly and it's fun and it's nothing serious but uh, it's a good one for a halloween watch well we are coming to the end of a season of heist films, a mini season of heist films, and we reach the. Oh, I'm going to start again. I don't know what, what my head's gone. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> so, folks, this week's film is from near the end of our mini season of heist films, and it's the 2004 film The Perfect Score. If it takes 15 people eight hours to make 100 items, how many hours will it take six people working at the same rate to make half as many items? Dude, it's like impossible. Three little letters. You're down on 1140? 
as bad as me, man. What'd you tell your parents? I lied. You've never been so proud, son. Look at 143, that's what I scored. It can define your status. Did you see my dad's truck in the driveway? It says Matthews and Son Septic on it. If I don't get into Maryland, my life... It can change your life. You need a 900 on the SAT. And completely... What if I mess it up again? You won't. We're very proud of you, honey. Stress you out. Time! <coughs> I was gonna go to class before I got... <laughs> Six different students. Now, maybe we thought this was bigger than us one-on-one, -on -one, but there's no way it's gonna beat all of us together. With six different dreams. Maybe we should all say exactly why we're here. The SAT is racist. What? Who created the test? Rich white guys. Who scored the highest on the test? Asian chicks. <laughs> Middle-class Asian girls who watch less than hour of television a day. And one last shot at the perfect score. I have an idea. You want to steal the answers to the test. <laughs> a lot of kids struggle with the SAT. That doesn't justify thievery. I've never really done anything. I mean, I've never broken curfew. I've never cut class, and I've never made out on a rooftop. <clears throat> Laura goes my buzz. These people, they're messing with the rest of our lives. Could you fetch me that mail, mail boy? Okay. If you could be anything you wanted to be, what would you be? <laughs> What did you say, Maddie? Pornstar. <laughs> Just happy. No matter what happens, when you get out of that room, it's still gonna be you, man. Well, Tessa's gonna change that. <laughs> You've assembled a crack team, Chief. <laughs> the Perfect Score by Brian Robbins is a... Uh, teen comedy slash high slash caper film um, starring Chris Evans and Scarlett Johansson before but it's the, the first of nine films they started together actually so pre-Avengers and it's sort of a take on The Breakfast Club and it alludes to that several times and it's six sort of mismatched personalities that come together in order to perpetrate a crime. And that crime is stealing the SAT results because they each have different reasons for wanting to get into college and struggling on the SATs. It stars, as I said, Chris Evans, Scott Johansson. There's a, a, a direct from high school to the NBA basketball player in there as well. Um, so it's rather thrown together cast. Now this film, guys, is one that I put on the list for stuck about in heist films. Um, it's one I've seen before, and it's one that I've certainly enjoyed before. So I will take the full blame for this one being a little bit of a left field choice in our series of heist movies. I like this movie. I liked this movie when I saw it back in 2005 I probably saw it I'm just trying to think through my life where I was so I saw this probably in 2005 I left university and I worked in a video store for about six months and I just borrowed films they had on the shelves and it's interesting and so I borrowed this um, it is very much of its early 2000s style it is that kind of teen movie um, where the high points of things like She's All That and Tenth and Hate About You have probably run dry and we're moving on to something else. 
I can, watching it this time with a more critical eye, it certainly is not the strongest film in the entire world. It is certainly lacking in lots of clear motivations. It is lacking in some acting talent in places here and there. Um, Lots of characters make really weird choices that make a lot of sense. But I think it's interesting. I think it plays with the film form a lot, with some flashbacks and fantasy sequences. Um, I think it challenges some ideas about education in America, albeit in a very bubblegum popcorn kind of way. And I do think that most of the leads are quite likable. I think that uh, I think Darius Miles, this is his only acting credit, and I think that's probably for the best. Um, but I think everyone else brings certainly something to it, even if the sort of the clear star talent of Chris Evans and Scully Hansen do kind of shine bright against the rest. Um, I said this is my film that I've brought. Sam, I don't know if you've seen this before. How did you find it? Oh, I... <laughs> this may be damning with faint praise, but I don't think it's as bad as a lot of the reviews make out. Mm-hmm. I thought... This was a perfectly fine film, and I thought it was quite fun. And I mean, it's it's in my head comparable to a film that I another film I wasn't overly enamoured with, but I found quite fun watching Mean Girls. It feels like that sort of it, it, it's it, in my head. It I'm not. They may not be of the same quality. Certain people will take great issue with this, but in my head, it feels like they are much of a muchness in terms of how I perceive them. So I, I quite, I thought it was quite fun. It's only an hour and a half long, and it just, just sort of zips along and was, yeah, it was, it was certainly not as bad as some of the reviews made out. Um, it's got a very of its time intro and lots of this lots of film is sort of yeah I can see what you're saying it's the end of a whole bunch of teen films seen in the previous decade and maybe those ideas are run dry but one thing I did think was really good was the fact that it was um, playing on ideas from films from the previous two, three decades, like The Breakfast mm-hmm. Club, and it knew it was doing that. It's not trying to be The Breakfast Club. It's just an interesting comment on the fact that that may still be a valid paradigm in 2004. So I, I thought this, I was pleasantly surprised by the, this film. How well, no, actually... And reading the reviews tonight, I mean, I was not really pleasantly surprised, but reading the reviews tonight, I was sort of I was a bit put out on the film's behalf because I thought, well, no, it's better than that. I, I, I mean, I think that's exactly where I sit on it. Like, this is not, it's not ten things about you. It isn't this kind of the peak of the high school movie genre, right. and it's certainly not the peak of the heist movie genre. But it is fun. It's a good fun film. If it was, you know in the middle of a, an evening on TV, you watch it, it's fine. It's just, it's good and fun. The reason why I recommended it for this mini-season of ours is because it's a lovely mashup of our previous season of high school mm. and of a heist film. That It takes the tropes of both 
and tries somewhat successfully to merge them into one. You know, up until now, the heist films we've watched have been traditional heists in many ways. They've been like criminals doing heists mm. um, of various scales. And this is a bunch of kids doing heists. And all the things we talked about previously of the idea of competency porn, the idea of different skill sets of getting the band, getting the group together, and all this, you know, the final sacrifice, all this sort of stuff, it's still here in this film, but transported into early 2000s America. Hmm. So for me, I think that it's... That's why I like this film so much, is it, it takes something and merges it. It's very much like a film from probably a couple of years later, I think it was, which is Brick. Um, which is a very, very different different film, and it's definitely probably a, a better film. But it does that same trick of taking film noir and merging it with a high school experience and making it work. Um, so in this, you have you have the teen hacker who can hack around stuff. You have the uh, the face who can get away with things. You have all of this sort of thing, all the skills that they bring um, to it have that same kind of high quality of everyone coming together, making a plan, dealing with things that change, getting around security guards, getting around security, all the things that you'd see again and again and again in films like Mission Impossible, in films like Ocean's Eleven, are played out here again, but with teens stealing, stealing, stealing some quiz answers. And it also manages to maintain a similar set of beats about high school, about dealing with the end of high school, dealing with what sort of person you're going to become, dealing with falling in love for the first time, and all of that, and like the changes that come about with the end of high school. It works on both levels, and I think that's why I'll always like it. I I was just, I was thinking about something that Indy comes to fall with um, Scott Jan's character, I've forgotten the name, at the end, who writes a book about six kids doing the SED answers and it's very obviously metafictional but I'm thinking even earlier than that this this works as sort of metafiction because I was just thinking about Roy and one of the one of the the sort of damning reviews talks about how Roy is just a ridiculous stoner stereotype he does it really badly does Sean Penn impression really badly and just thought well that's the point. Like, mm. what he's doing is trying to be a stoner stereotype. And when you have these stereotypes, I mean, it's not as good as The Breakfast Club, but you have these stereotypes that are based on the ideas of The Breakfast Club, and you just think, well, he's this is not trying to be an Oscar-winning film. And they know that. Mm. The director knows that. The writer knows that. The actors know that. They're just having fun. And with with the Roy character in, in particular, we're just thinking how I mean, it, it doesn't it doesn't have to be believe well, it doesn't really have to be believable even. No. I mean it's a, it's a, say it's high school, but it's heightened, you know, it's the star baseball player baseball player who's going pro and the top of the class and this like teen blogger, I think it is. Um, who is well known and it's very it's all very heightened and like no one's looking at this movie to be an in-depth portrayal of the truth of high school even something you know, it, this feels much more 
in line with things like, I suppose, Booksmart than even John Hughes. Like, John Hughes searched, sought for something true. Like, the, the core of The Breakfast Club is that it speaks to the truth of high school. It speaks to what it's like to break down those barriers between your friends and what happens next. Day. That's the truth of that movie. This film is not, these people are not going to be friends in the future. That makes sense. You know, if, if, um, he goes pro in NBA, he's probably not staying in touch with, you know, the guy who's doing community service back in his hometown. Like this film isn't looking for that connection. It's about that people coming together for a job, doing the job and leaving. And that you, you mentioned the Darren Smiles character there and how it was probably a good thing that this is his only acting credit. And I can see what you're saying, but it feels like the purpose of the basketball character was to be an outsider. And also, Darren Smiles is one of a minority of NBA players. He's an NBA player. He went straight from high school to the NBA, so he didn't go to college. So it's kind of a metaphysical comment on something that Darius Miles might have gone through and then like, didn't choose the path that meant he went through. So he, he never had to take the SATs. He never had to graduate and go to college. So, I mean, I, I can see you saying that there's something very um <laughs> very wooden about his performance and it sticks out a bit but at the same time I just think well so what I mean as I say it works for this movie because you know the fact that he's the lead puppet maybe he isn't good at people like he isn't portrayed as a jock in that kind of like quarterback way that other movies go with he isn't ever portrayed that way um and he he has that element of being slightly awkward and that's kind of okay because that's just the film that he's in um but i think the thing that that i really like about this film is on top of not on top of the high stuff because often heists heist have this that it has this element of everyone seeking betterness seeking aspirational living or whatever it is all the heist film most heist films happen because the people in it want something better and they see this heist as a way to do it lock stock they get into the first game of poker to get a better life, you know, or heist film. And they, this has that same thing. No, it's not overly monetary game thereafter, but it is a way to get from where you are now to where you want to be. That the the legal normal rules to get you there just can't happen. Yeah, and then for whatever reason, at, at, at the end, the final scene, it's. Well, they've decided that they they're still. I mean, in refusing to use the 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 answers that they they've stolen, they they're still aspiring to something. They still want to be better. They're just going to mm-hmm. find a different way of getting. There. And you find that Carl goes to Syracuse, and Matt is an actor, and all these these dreams are still there. These aspirations are still there. So in in something that we've seen in other films this series, that it doesn't really matter about the heist. Mm. Like, the aspiration is what's important here. I agree. I think, But I think that's, for me, where this film aligns brilliantly the two genres, in that they have the heist that goes as well as heists ever do. 
where it impacts the idea of a teen movie is that high school movies often come with this idea that you go into it wanting one thing and the journey leads you to actually wanting something else. So book smart, they want to have one that's fun, but it really leads them to making connections with their peers. Um, these movies, you know, we talk about you know, like um, 10 things here about you where he's going into for money, but he falls in love. Um, and a lot of the movies take you a place where you think you know what you want. The movie happens, you realize what you really want. And this film does that same thing, but with this heistness. They they go through the heist and then realize they don't want it. Mm. All the people who are in it to for it don't want it or never needed it in the first place. Mm. But they don't use it, and that's where this. I think the two the two lines of a heist movie and a high school movie coincide that they've gone through this heist, gone through this cathartic experience, come back changed, and so they don't need what they wanted mm. in the first place. It's, it's a classic hero's journey of returning home afterwards that they just don't want anymore. Mm. I will just put in quick aside here, guys, that the thing that makes me laugh looking back at this movie is this: there's a lot of presumption from Americans that we know where places are. Because at the end, they're like, and she ended up in New York. I'm like, is that where Brown is? Is that where Syracuse is? I don't know. Um, and like, they go, like, oh, well, she, she did this. I'm like, on her own terms, like, is that Brown? I don't know. Where's Brown? Um, and it's a strange thing that, like, that they just, American films often presume that the world will know where places are. Mm-hmm. And I don't know where things are in the UK, let alone America. Yeah. Anyway, you're saying. I was thinking about the American large geography there. Um, yeah, I was just thinking, I, I was thinking about and that idea of you, you change what you're aspiring towards. The thing that makes this movie for me and the thing I think, I think that it got my back over when I saw the reviews about it, the thing that really seemed to ring true about this movie is Matty's story. Because mm. that happens to so many seventeen-year-olds, eighteen-year-olds. Yeah, you you know, and you can see that. You can see that I'm aspiring to, for this relationship to still exist with this girl who's gone off to college, and then you know, in the first five minutes of the film, when the guy answers the phone, you know that the relationship's gone, mm-hmm. and the whole film is Matty trying to understand that and trying to come to terms with that, and. He, he does that with the aid of another character, but that journey that he goes on is is so very true. I thought that was brilliant. I think that's, some, if you want to look at why maybe the film didn't perform as well, is that I think all of the characters are well done, but often they feel like in different films. Mm. Like, you know, the, the Matty and, um, who has this really kind of like nice arc of, going through everything that happened with him and his girlfriend and falling in love with Francesca feels like he's in a very different film to Roy, um, who can feel like he's in a very, very different film to Desmond. And Anna is going through this whole crisis of confidence. Like people are going through very different experiences and the film sometimes doesn't gel together, but I do like that all of them have a journey. Mm. You know, even, even like Anna, even like Francesca, who is probably the most, strident of the characters she goes through this journey of being quite aggressive and quite walls up at the start to mellowing towards the end and obviously 
falling in love with Matty. Mm. Um, and I really like that they all go on this lovely journey through the movie. Um, so yeah, I know it's a bit of a left field choice for a high season, but I'm glad that you kind of saw it as I did in terms of just being fun and being slightly sweet. Mm. I really like the sort of like a dream sequence type fantasy thing that Francesca has when she takes out a bunch of bodyguards. You think you've mm. seen that with Black Widow in the Avengers over the succeeding decade now. You just think there was something... that That's what aspiration means to her. She wants to channel this aggression. And this is one way that she can see to do that. I suppose later on the novel making, novel writing is another way to, to channel that. I do want to just clarify that that was obviously a rip-off of The Matrix. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just to declare that there's a scene in which literally, and this is what I talked about earlier with the filmic style that it plays with, that it has, um, like it does this, like almost spot on looks, bullet time, everything scene from the Matrix. It isn't parody, it isn't pastiche, it's literally just a recreation with Scarlett Johansson in the character played by Carrie Ann Moss. Mm. Um, and it has these sort of fantasy sequences, and that I really like, I think it's really kind of offbeat. But it's very much of that time. And this is a film that... This is a film style that isn't really around much anymore. This kind of teen movie has moved on. You know, things like... As much as I love Booksmart, it's a very different movie to this. And things like Lady Bird, a very different movie to this. This film that's just slightly silly. Yeah. Um, and has these films, these non-didactic, non-realistic scenes. Um, I just think that really... For me, having grown up at this time, I really have a lot of time for it. Do you have some recommendations for Sam? I do. Now, the first of these, I'm just mentioning so that I get to talk about it. Um, it's, it's a Chris Evans link, and it's sort of from the beginning of Chris Evans' career to the most recent blockbuster, well, blockbuster, whatever big film that Chris Evans has been in. And it's one that I saw recently I wanted to talk about. And the use as well, and we think it's great. So it's 2019's Knives Out. And it's, I mean, Chris Evans' performance in Knives Out is just brilliant. And I love the fact that after, I mean, from the perfect score onwards, he's had 15 years of playing the good guy, even when in Captain America Civil War, he's sort of this tortured figure who doesn't know whether he's doing the right thing or not and he's coming up against his best friend and maybe he's acting in quite a capital C conservative way. You kind of get the feeling that Captain America and thus Chris Evans is always a good character. It's fundamentally good. Knives Out is the first time I've seen Chris Evans just as a thoroughly bad character, and he's obviously absolutely loving it, and I just mm. think it's brilliant. Yeah, I think that uh, I love that movie. I love, absolutely love that. I literally made my mother-in-law watch it this week um, because you're right. Like he's having so much fun not being Captain America. Mm. I think I think he loved playing that character, and I think it's clear if you follow him on Twitter that he is basically that character anyway in real life. Yeah, but he's clearly having fun and enjoying not being that person. Yeah. Um, the second one that I want to mention is one that just came to mind um, so having this conversation and it's 
it's something it, it's a film that I thought of in the early sequences when you have sort of that slick editing when the narration is talking about money and the sort of the consumeristic face of American education and how achieving universities is is what you need to do to get ahead in life and it felt very much like so some of these slick editors he was in the big short which i really enjoyed as well um so i don't always recommend films that i thoroughly enjoyed but we'll we'll go with two good ones this week so knives out and the big short fair enough, fair enough. i've got two films that may push the quality this isn't good <laughs> but uh, I stand by both of them even if Sam isn't going to um, so my first one is a film from two years earlier called Cheats um, or Cheaters depending on where you watched it um, it's about a group of high school friends who cheat their way through school um, this is much more they are an organised system they've been doing it for years and it's about they're going on one last big cheat um, to get out of high school basically so it has the same elements of playing with the mode and the form of old high movies, one last big score, all that kind of thing. It's more fun and more silly, I suppose, than um, Perfect Score. Um, but it is also a lot of fun. But it is, once again, of that era, it's very much an early 2000s film. My second link is we haven't mentioned him at all in any way in our discussion of the movie. But the older brother of Chris Evans is played by Matthew Lillard, who is a actor who anyone of this era will know. He's been a lot of things. I really like him in this. He is that very much the character you see a lot in his films of the slightly dopey, slightly silly character who comes through at the end to be really wise. Or at least be there for the moment in which they have the main character has an epiphany. They have that kind of support role. Yeah, I, I'm watching this. I was all the way through thinking, I know him, what have I seen him in? And I just couldn't, hence none of my recommendations this week involved him, but I'm intrigued to hear what your recommendation is going to be. Well, I mean, he's, he's often probably not known for being in the original Scream film, uh, but I am going to talk about his film from 1999, She's All That. <laughs> um, which... Sam and I have a long history of because I think it's brilliant. He doesn't. Um, he pops up in that as um, the person who the main character's partner leaves him for. He's a MTV star, I suppose. Um, he's over the top. He's silly. He's insane. Uh, he's channeling much more of his character from hackers than anything else. Um, but I'm never going to turn down a chance to talk about She's All That because it's a modern classic <laughs> and Sam is an uncultured swine. I'm going to leave it there. Um, I will just quickly, I will throw in a third one just because while we're here, um, very quickly, Roy is a very, very silly character in this, um, but he has got a semi-regular appearance in the current Westworld TV series in which he plays a tech working for Westworld Genuinely, when I saw it as IMDb, I was like, really? That's him? And we're looking at it now. It's very clearly him. It's a very different character. Obviously, he's aged a lot in the sort of 15 years since Perfect Store came out. Westworld is a very frustrating show to watch because it's so brilliant and also so terrible at times. But 
I do still recommend watching it if you haven't seen it. Well, the final film in our high season, everyone, is the film from which year of? 2018. 2018. Almost up to date. Very nearly up to the present with the 2018 film Widows. Till then, guys, you can find both of us online at Pressy Podcast. You find just me at life underscore academic. And you can find just me at Kydra FM. If you like our show, guys, please share it with your friends. Tell people you know about it. Give us a retweet. Give us a follow. All the usual social media sharey things. We love making this show and we'd love more people to hear it. And we'll see you back here in two weeks.